0: I don't think it's like the third and sixth commandments, which modern Christians just tend to know but ignore. I think hospitality is one of those issues we just don't think very much about, because we haven't considered very much what the Bible actually says about it. I really do believe, though, that hospitality is at the very center of the gospel, and that hospitality, the way the Bible describes, is vital to our own spiritual health and to our congregation's spiritual health. Yeah. Luke 14, the, the first part is a Sabbath question, right? How do we properly honor the Lord's Day? And the question Jesus is confronted with, can you heal on Lord's Day? And Jesus is like, of course. The Lord's Day is about mercy. You receive mercy, and then you show mercy. And then he tells him a parable about humility. In their pride and arrogance, they were coveting the praise of men. They wanted the pat on the back, they wanted the applause, they wanted everyone to notice them. And so they so they sought the highest places at the table. They didn't humble themselves or lower themselves like Jesus said they ought to. And then Jesus says, to sum it up, a verse we're all familiar with for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, he who humbles himself will be exalted. But he doesn't stop there. That's not the end of it. Then he said, right then, the next thing that happened, the very next thing, he said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors. Let's say also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. You'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. I think what we like to do with that text, what we want to do, is we want to jump to the spiritual application. We want to jump to how this is a picture of the kingdom of God bringing in us who are spiritually lame and blind, etc. And that is an application of this text. But Christians throughout history have understood this text also to actually be about what it says, which is hospitality. Inviting those who cannot repay you. Now, Jesus is not forbidding you having friends over or family over. What he's forbidding is mindset where we only invite people over, playing the game where we know they'll invite us back, and we get something out of it. It's people we like, we want to be around, we invite them and nobody else. That's what he's rebuking. But Instead, he calls us to invite those who cannot repay us. Those who are down and out and suffering. Those, he says, those people you invite because God will reward you in the end. So that's what we're going to consider. That's the setup for today. The command to be eager to practice hospitality. I want to look at three key passages first that develop this further, that Paul, especially for two of them, one of them from Peter, Romans 12, and talking about what it looks like to love the brothers, to love the household of faith, Paul says we're to be distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Literally, it's always be eager to practice hospitality, given to as the idea that you really want to do this. You want to show this. 1 Peter 4. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. This is fascinating. Because Peter's writing to those who are persecuted. And you would think those who are being persecuted, the last thing they need to worry about, the last thing they need to think about, is being hospitable. And yet he says, your fervent love is shown in this, that you cover each other's sins, and that you're hospitable to one another. You show hospitality to one another. Hebrews 13, Let brotherly love continue, do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. More on that in a moment. But then also, even stranger perhaps, because we don't give much thought to this, is that elders, pastors, one of the requirements to be a pastor is that you have to love hospitality. Throughout the Old Testament, Abraham, for example, who did entertain angels, he entertained Jesus in his pre-incarnate form and two angels. He brought them in and fed them. But Job boasts that no stranger has ever gone without a meal when they're around him. Lot shows hospitality. Throughout the entire Old Testament, hospitality is praised and given in various examples. Paul praises those who are hospitable to other saints. So the picture in the Bible time and time again is hospitality is not on the far edges of things for a Christian's life, but is at the very center of what Christians do. It's an outflow of our love for Christ and for other people. We are serving and being like Christ. And the reason for that is the Bible says we no longer belong to ourselves. We belong to others. We serve them. And so we humble ourselves. We put others first. We offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And this show itself in earnestly seeking, eagerly seeking to be hospitable, to show hospitality. Not begrudgingly. Not like, man, I can't believe I have to be hospitable. This is awful. But with fervent love. A fervent love is a hearty love, a love that perseveres. We're to do it gladly. Not see it as something troublesome, but a joyful privilege. In fact, it's rather interesting. We give monks a very hard time in the Lutheran church. And historically, there's a lot of good reasons for that. But also, you'll see places where Luther praises various monks and various monasteries. One thing that's interesting is when the monks had to fast, the thing that they could break their fast for, the thing they were allowed to, and indeed were told to break their fast for, was if someone showed up and needed to be shown hospitality. Then, because, especially if they were a Christian, that was the image of Christ in front of them, it was one for whom Christ had died, they were to break their fast and eat with them and serve them in that way. In fact, according to the Bible, there's three groups of people we're to be hospitable towards. The first is obvious, it's other Christians. The second is strangers, which is usually in the Bible, actually, even though we don't think about it this way, strangers are other Christians we don't know. So the missionary that's traveling through town. The, The person who's down and out that we do not know. So it often includes other Christians, but it can also include those who are not. Now, I want to make a point here before someone walks away getting the wrong idea. This doesn't mean, for example, if you have a house full of kids that you should, you know, bring in a group of meth addicts and show them hospitality. It doesn't mean you can't. It just means you should use wisdom with these things, right? The Bible doesn't command you to put your entire household at risk to show hospitality, On the other hand, hospitality throughout the Bible, and we've talked about this on various occasions, is also for outreach. I want to share very very briefly with you a story of a woman named Rosario Butterfield. She was a lesbian feminist professor. I realize that's kind of redundant, but that was what she was. She hated God, absolutely hated him, wanted nothing to do with him. But she got invited to a pastor's house for an evening meal on a Sunday. And at this pastor's house, they sang psalms, and they ate, and she walked away, and she kept going back week after week. And one reason she tells us that she did this in her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, she says one reason she kept going back is because the psalms haunted her. She could not get them out of her heart and mind. She carried them with her throughout the week. And she could not understand why these people were being so loving and kind to her, when she despised everything about them. Eventually, she became converted through this. And now, going from being a lesbian feminist professor, she is now a Presbyterian, conservative Presbyterian pastor's wife who homeschools her children. Talk about doing a 180. So she wrote an entire book that at times, honestly, comes across as a little legalistic, but it's her passion that you see in the book for understanding that opening our homes to others, showing hospitality, is one of the ways we share the blessings of the gospel with them. Now the foundation for our hospitality is God himself. It is God's nature throughout the Bible that reveals to us what hospitality looks like. God is loving, he is gracious, he is kind, he is generous. Listen to how God's described in Deuteronomy 10. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. The great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. Right? He's the great God, mighty and awesome. So what does he do? He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Probably not where we would think that sentence would go, right? The next sentence after talking about how awesome and great and mighty and powerful he is. What does he do? He stoops down to serve, to take care of those, the fatherless, the widow, the stranger who have no one else to take care of them. That's what our God does. And that's what he did for you, right? You are a stranger, the Bible says. You are cut off from the promises of God. You are indeed spiritually lame and poor and maimed and blind. And yet God took you, he washed you in the holy waters of baptism, he cleansed you and clothed you with Christ's righteousness, and he brings you to his holy table and says, Feast! And Christ himself is the host and the feast. He gives of himself. That is the life of a Christian. We are Christians because God in his generosity and grace and mercy Brought us who were strangers, who had nowhere to go. He brought us in and made us part of His family, clothed us and fed us. That's why when I say hospitality is the center of the gospel, it is. It is what the gospel is. God is hospitable to us, to us who don't deserve it, to us who didn't want it, and yet He comes and did it all anyway. Think about it. Christ comes in the flesh. He takes on our flesh. He lives a life of love and mercy and sacrifice. He dies in your place. All that so he could make you his so that he could cleanse you, clothe you, and feed you. That's what your Savior did for you. So any hospitality we show, anything we do that looks hospitable at all, first and foremost only flows out of the fact that God has been hospitable to us. He's been gracious and merciful to you. Hospitality in the Bible is central to so much because it's central to our very lives. So it's what made us who we are. And if it made us who we are, then it will flow out in how we treat the neighbor. So then why do we so often lack hospitality? Why do we have a problem with this? Well, first... To be rather blunt, the reason we often lack hospitality is because we lack love. That's what the Bible says. We lack love for Christ and for the neighbor, and so we don't show hospitality. I think there's another reason, too. It's kind of the poverty of spirit we have about these things. We have a very hard time understanding the feasting imagery in the Bible because we don't feast a whole lot. Or perhaps, another way, we're feasting so much we don't actually understand a real feast. We never observe the fast, and so when the feast comes, you know, by the time Christmas gets there, we've had so many cookies and so much sugar and so much stuff that we're not ready to celebrate the feast. We're oversatiated. We don't care. Oh, it's, it's Christmas, I don't, can't eat another thing. So when the Bible is described as a glorious feast, with people coming in from all over the world to sit down at Abraham's table... We're like, well, whatever. What does that mean? Perhaps it's because we haven't spent enough time around a table eating and drinking and loving and serving one another to see how glorious the imagery really is. We think perhaps it's too good to be true that you can indeed eat and drink and be merry in this world because you have faith in God. Oftentimes, that phrase, Ecclesiastes can be misunderstood, especially the second time it's used and talks about in relationship to God, as if we think the attitude of eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die can be kind of fatalistic, which it can be, but it can also be the greatest act of faith. You eat, drink, and you're merry because you know all things are in Christ's hands, that whether you live or die, you are the Lord's. So you're free to feast with one another, to celebrate with one another, to enjoy one another. Perhaps, too, we have a misunderstanding about hospitality that keeps us from doing it. Especially, perhaps, if you're like me and you're more introverted. If you see hospitality as entertaining other people, that can seem quite daunting. Maybe you don't think you're very entertaining. You don't know what you would do for an hour or two or more with someone that you don't know very well, and so it seems quite intimidating. But hospitality is not entertaining. It's not showing off how good of cooks we are, how nice our home is, how funny we are. It's about humble, sacrificial serving, building others up, and encouraging others. That's what hospitality is. You don't have to be entertaining at all. You have to humble yourself and serve others. Some other enemies and pitfalls to this is our own selfishness. We want peace and quiet. We want our homes to be a sanctuary where it's quiet and peaceful, and we don't like to have that interrupted. Or perhaps in our selfishness we just say, well, we're we're too busy. Too busy for that. Or perhaps there's a greed. We don't want to be giving. We don't want to do these things because honestly, we don't want to have to sacrifice anything. Sometimes our pride gets in the way. That's that's not my gift. That's not my personality. So the excuses pile up. I don't have time, except for the things I really want to do. I don't have money, except for the things I really want to spend money on. I don't have the space. We pile up excuses to cover up our lack of love, our lack of hospitality. Instead, God says be eager to show hospitality. Don't make excuses. Don't don't try to, in your pride or in your greed or selfishness, act like it's not something God actually wants you to do. But instead, the Bible wants us to be holy schemers, looking for ways to plan generosity, to plan hospitality. Sundays are a great day for this. Sundays are a day where you can find people in church and say, hey, why don't you come over? Because you've thought beforehand that you're actually going to invite somebody. Or you invite the visitor who's at church. There are, and I'm not saying this is something we should strive for or need to be, but I do find it fascinating. There are churches who every Sunday have a potluck that goes for seven, eight, nine hours. Every week. Now, all of you in here have different gifts. So some of you might be better at this than others. But that's no excuse for us to do what we're not. God is giving you your gifts, and you can use those gifts, and the way God is called to you in showing hospitality. And so it may not look exactly the same from one house to the other, and it doesn't have to. God is giving you different gifts, different strengths. And as you interact with other Christians who have different gifts and strengths, you yourself will be strengthened in those things. So here's some very practical things to consider. Make a list of people that you need to have over. Make a list and start inviting those people over. Even if it's just once a month. Make a list of solid, inexpensive menus. Have a supply of foods that are cheap, that are edible, and that are filling. Right? It doesn't have to be expensive. You're not entertaining. You're not impressing. And then persevere. A lot of people give up because there's a lot of unknowns when you're showing hospitality. You're going to make a lot of mistakes. So what? The more you see it as a discipline, the more joy you will find in it. But God isn't just say, do this. God says, do this because there's a lot of blessings tied up with it. God will bless you as individuals, he'll bless your families, and he will bless this church. First, you will grow in the faith as you do these things. As you die to self, as you put the interests of others first. Consider what we hear in Ephesians 4. Paul urges us to walk worthy of the kind of which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know one of the best places for that to happen? Is having to be around other Christians a lot. How are you going to become patient if you're not around people that test your patience? Like, honestly, it's easy to love each other if you spend like an hour here sitting next to each other and you don't have to do anything with each other to talk to each other. It's pretty easy to be patient with people then much harder to be patient with people if they're in your home and kind of getting on your nerves. It gives you a lot more opportunity to sin against each other, which is why Peter said, in fervent love, cover up one another's sins. Because the more time you spend together, the more time you have to sin against each other. Which is right. why in our homes, your own families, which is why we're often the very worst that people are in our home because we're the most comfortable around them, and we spend the most time around them. The more time you spend around people, the more you're going to sin against them. It teaches us how to deal with each other in kindness and love, even in spite of our sins. A close community will test us in ways that other things cannot. So there will be struggles with hospitality. But there will be great joys. As love grows. As strangers turn into friends. As your children learn by example what it looks like to love and serve the neighbor. What does Paul tell us? Jesus said that it's more blessed to give than to receive. That there are blessings bound up with this that we cannot even imagine. Because God desires to bless you through these things, through your interaction with others. We have, actually in our own tradition, an entire series of talks that all take place around a table. They're called Luther's table talks. Luther was known for being generous. So generous sometimes in giving away their stuff that his wife often had to stop him lest he made them broke. And yet they were constantly bringing people into their home. And all these conversations they would have at dinner, people started writing them down. So we have an entire volume dedicated to conversations Luther had while doing this very thing, showing hospitality, showing love for the neighbor in this way. And of course, the greatest blessing Jesus himself tells us He says, when you do this, you'll be blessed because even though perhaps these people cannot repay you, what does he say? You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. I know Lutherans don't often like to think this way, even though the Bible talks this way. There are rewards for you in heaven. The Bible is clear. Jesus talks about it here. As St. Augustine said, God rewards the works of love that he does in and through you by his spirits. Just another sign of his grace and generosity. But even though you may not get back those things in this life, Christ promises that he will bless you in the life to come, beyond anything you can think or imagine. That even though the world may forget all of your hospitality and all that you do, perhaps people you do it for are even unthankful or ungrateful, whatever, God will not forget. God sees. God blesses. Is there any place on this earth where this isn't the most clearly seen outside of the Holy Supper? Right today, God gathers you. He brought you to this place. He's blessed you with his word. He's cleansed you in the holy absolution. You've heard about his glorious promises of how he's made you his own by giving of his son, his son dying in your place. Them him washing you, clothing you, and feeding you, and now he's actually going to feed you once again. And Christ doesn't just give stuff, he gives himself. He gives his very body and blood to you, in your very mouths, that you may be partakers of the heavenly kingdom. That's the kind of hospitality we receive this morning. Christ, with all of his gifts, giving to us, his very self, with his body and blood. I mean, that's kind of mind-blowing. We hear it a lot as Lutherans, and so we, I think, sometimes maybe take it for granted. But God is here, Christ is here in this place, to be your host, to be your feast, that he might serve you. That He might serve you with the very best gifts, with himself. So let us give thanks to God for this amazing hospitality that he shows us here this morning. And let us pray that we might reflect that love, that mercy, that generosity in our own lives. Let us stop worrying about receiving hospitality, instead focus on giving of it. Because God in Christ Jesus has done more for us than we could ever do for anyone else in this world. He's given us Christ Jesus, even here this morning, even in your very mouths, that he might feast with you. Amen. The peace of God passes on so your saying, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.